Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They take care of our air conditioning, and they'll do a great job for you as well. Just go to the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including William Yateman. He's a research fellow at the Cato Institute. We'll also visit with Michael Cannon from the Cato Institute. He's the director of health studies. Megan Rose is the CEO of Better Together. What an organization that is. Where do you hear that story? And Dave Bigo is the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. He will be joining us as well. It is March the 19th already, can you believe it? On this day in 2003, the United States, along with the coalition forces primarily from the United Kingdom, initiated a war on Iraq. Just after explosions began to rock Baghdad, Iraq's capital, U.S. President George W. Bush announced in a televised address, at this hour, American and coalition forces are in the early stages of military operations to disarm Iraq, to free its people, to defend the world from grave danger. President Bush and his advisors built much of their case on the war of the idea that Iraq, under dictator Saddam Hussein, possessed or was in the process of building weapons of mass destruction. I'm not kidding. Hostilities began after 90 minutes after the U.S. imposed deadline for Saddam Hussein to leave Iraq or face war past. The first targets, which Bush said were of military importance, were hit with Tomahawk cruise missiles from U.S. Uh, fighter bombers and warships stationed in the Persian Gulf. In response to the attacks, Republic of Iraq Radio in Baghdad announced the evil ones, the enemies of God, the homeland, and humanity have committed the stupidity of aggression against our homeland and people. Though Saddam Hussein had declared in early March that it was without a doubt the faithful who will be victorious against aggression. He went into hiding soon after the American invasion, speaking to his people only through an occasional audio tape. Coalition forces were able to topple the regime and capture Iraq's major cities in just three weeks, sustaining few casualties. President Bush declared the end of the major combat operations on May the 1st, 2003. Despite the defeat of conventional military forces in Iraq, an insurgency had continued an intense guerrilla warfare in the nation in the years since military victory was announced, resulting in thousands of coalition military insurgent and civilian deaths. After an intense manhunt, U.S. soldiers found Assad Hussein, Sudan, I'm sorry, Saddam Hussein hiding in a six to eight foot deep hole <laughs> nine miles outside of town of uh, his hometown. He didn't resist and was uninjured during the arrest. A soldier at the scene described him as a man who resigned to his fate. Hussein was arrested and began trial for crimes against his people, including mass killings in October 2005. In June 2004, the provisional government in place since soon after uh, Saddam's ouster transferred power to the Iraq interim government. In January 2005, the Iraqi people elected a 275-member Iraqi National Assembly. 
A new constitution for the country was ratified that October, and then on November the 6th, 2006, Saddam Hussein was found guilty of crimes against humanity and sentenced to death by hanging. After an unsuccessful appeal, he was executed on December the 30th, 2006. No weapons of mass destruction were found in Iraq. The U.S. declared an end to the war in Iraq on December the 15th, 2011, nearly 10 years after the fighting began. What a waste of time, money, and resources, the war in Iraq. It really happened. Well, the Florida Department of Health reported 162 new COVID-19 cases and three additional deaths in Cuyahoga County on Thursday. That number is up substantially from those that are uh, from recent days. The moving seven-day new case average in Collier was at 67 through Wednesday, about 15% fewer than the average on February the 15th. Thursday, there were 43 COVID-19 patients in Collier County hospitals. That's not many indeed. So we're in great shape when it comes to the flattening the curve, but we're still counting about uh, all this. In fact, the Harvard Caps Harris Poll survey released this month showed 41% of Americans remain unwilling to receive a vaccine, although a majority, 59%, are willing. Dr. Anthony Fauci has said that the U.S. needs 70 to 85% of the population vaccinated in order to reach herd immunity. This is worth searching out if you haven't seen this. It's uh, look, look for it on the internet. Senator Rand Paul criticized Dr. Anthony Fauci, President Joe Biden's chief medical advisor, on Thursday for his insistence on enforcing mask mandates even after the population has been vaccinated. Paul asserted that there had been no studies showing that survivors of coronavirus do not have immunity afterward, criticizing Fauci for being pessimistic on the matter. Of the 30 million Americans who had COVID, only a handful of reinfections have been discovered, Paul said. Paul asked Fauci what studies he can cite which suggest there will have been already taken the vaccine or have survived coronavirus are not immune to the virus. If we're not spreading the infection, isn't it just theater? Asked uh, Paul. Fauci disputed Paul's understanding of the studies he was citing. He also argued that depending on the variant of coronavirus, reinfection could be more likely than Paul suggested. Paul continued asking Fauci for evidence of his position, demanding that he cite a study to support his conclusion. Fauci did not cite a study, saying that the literature is not available, quote-unquote, yet. However, he noted that as the variant B117 arises, we might begin seeing evidence of such reinfections. Really calling him out. I'm just really proud of uh, Senator Rand Paul. Uh, this Fauci, in my opinion, is a fraud. He doesn't use science at all to back things up. He just has everybody masked up. President Joe Biden said Thursday Americans should continue wearing their masks to combat the coronavirus pandemic until the vast majority of the population was vaccinated. We're way ahead of schedule, he said, but we have a long way to go. But again, urge Americans to approach the pandemic with renewed faith in each other and our government. Here's a quote. He said, together we're going to get through this stronger with renewed faith in each other and our government that fulfills our important function, taking care of the American people, he said. This is part of Joe Biden's delivered 10-minute speech uh, yesterday on Trump's vaccinations. 
Once again, his handler Kamala Harris, or is it Kamala, or Kamala, Kamala, followed him out on the stage in her black pantsuit. It was Biden's only public event yesterday, a 10-minute long speech read from a teleprompter. Only 1,100 folks were watching this guy on the White House YouTube channel. 1,100. Unbelievable. By the way, after being closed for one year due to COVID lockdowns, the California theme parks are all ready to go back and reopen, and they're willing. They're telling visitors who pay big bucks to enter the parks, no fun is allowed, <laughs> aside from the usual COVID guidelines such as mandatory face masks, limited capacity, and social distancing. Visitors are being told that they cannot breathe heavily or shout while on the rides. I'm not kidding. They really said that. California theme parks are telling visitors they cannot have I'll be allowed to scream or even breathe heavily while riding roller coasters to prevent the spread of COVID-19. Unbelievable. Uh, well, this is an interesting story. We think about uh, Florida as being a big leader when it comes to school choice. Well, West Virginia's legislature has passed the nation's most comprehensive school choice bill. Nearly all families will be able to take some of the state's per capita allocation for education and spend it on the school of their choice. Also eligible will be a long list of educational expenses, including online education and tutoring. The bill passed both houses of the legislature with not a single Democrat vote. The GOP House Speaker and handful of pro-union Republicans also opposed it. However, GOP Governor Jim Justice is expected to sign it into law. West Virginia spends an average of $12,644 for each child's education each year. By the way, how much do we spend in Cuyahoga County? Not $12,644. $20,644. Much more. The Choice Program will allow... $4,600 of that amount be to follow the child to the institution parents think is best for them. In the Mountain State, that goes a long way. The average private school tuition in the state is just 6000 bucks, and average elementary school just 4800 So this is going to go a long way to helping parents make choices for their kids. West Virginia Voucher Program will dwarf the education savings accounts offered in other states. Florida, for example, limits the ESAs to students who have special needs or are allowed or below age five and high risk of developmental delay. By the way, that could be changing this year in the legislature. School choice is the perfect response to the obstinate refusal of teacher unions to allow schools to reopen during the pandemic. If it can happen in one of America's poorest states like West Virginia, well, it can happen anywhere, right, including right here in Florida. Similar legislation has now been introduced in 30 states. Reason Magazine reports that a total of 26 out of 28 peer-reviewed studies find that school choice generally leads to better outcomes in, nearly in nearby public schools, and five studies find that competition leads to higher salaries for public school teachers. School choice is that rising tide that lifts all boats. Such an interesting story. Hopefully Florida will follow suit. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest-established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. 
Also by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. Find out more by visiting lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, William Yateman, Research Fellow at the Cato Institute. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. I hope you checked out Choice Social. It's a new, refreshing social networking platform. Go to choicesocial.us to find out more. Coming up, we're going to visit with Megan Rose. She is the founder and CEO of Better Together. Right now we have with us William Yateman, research fellow at the Cato Institute. William, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. Always appreciate uh, your contribution. Tell us about the Cato Institute. You bet. Uh, we're a think tank here in Washington, D.C., dedicated to advancing the ideals of a free society at every level of government. Cato.org is the website, C-A-T-O.org. So we're seeing some pretty much unbelievable, you can't even make some of this stuff up that's going on right now, but apparently they're now uh, after one9 trillion dollar uh, stimulus package has been passed. There's infrastructure negotiations beginning. Maybe you could tell us about it. Indeed. Um, I think you hit the nail on the head in terms of, of this stuff being pretty crazy. 
Um, so fresh off the $2 trillion COVID stimulus, um, Pelosi, or uh, House Speaker Pelosi, says Democrats are now working on an infrastructure package that would be, quote, big, bold, and transformational, which sounds pretty scary, um, especially when you take a look at what they're actually discussing. So as we, a number of times on prior Fridays, the stimulus package for COVID actually had very little to do with COVID, mm-hmm. much of the money did. Um, and it's really the same thing with this infrastructure package. So w- when your listeners think of infrastructure bills, they think of roads and bridges. But that's not what's being discussed right now. Mm. Um, instead, they're discussing a green bank um, to finance uh, climate change mitigation measures. They're talking about broadband to take on the, the so-called digital divide. And they're even talking about health care, which they're relabeling, quote, family infrastructure. Um, so this stuff clearly doesn't have anything to do with infrastructure as commonly understood. Um, the price tag, pretty darn big. The, the numbers being banded about uh, start at $2 trillion and go up to $4 trillion. Um, so we know that the Biden team is working on their own plan, and uh, apparently uh, Congress has some ideas in mind. We know uh, it evidently won't be done uh, anytime soon. So September at the earliest mm. is when the House would be expected to take on any such bill. Um, but at this point, all signs point towards it being a monstrosity. Unbelievable. And I would imagine some of it would be this uh, Green New Deal would include uh, infrastructure that would support uh, alternative energy projects, windmills, uh, sunbeams, all kinds of things like that. Uh, and, and we do need, no question, we do need our infrastructure strengthened, but I would suggest that it might be in the area, for example, of uh, our grid and uh, our highways and bridges. <laughs> We've actually had bridges collapse. <laughs> So we need to be taking a look at those things, too. Uh, here, here, and again, that those are the sorts of uh, spending projects that are typically associated with an infrastructure package. I will note very briefly on, on that green bank and, and green jobs, um, when Biden was vice president, the Obama administration promised to create 5 million green jobs. Of course, no such thing happened. I mean, mm. I, I think the numbers were in the thousands, and that was after spending $100 billion in the um, 2009 stimulus, uh, the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act. Uh, but I bring this up only to say that Biden currently is promising 10 million green jobs, uh, you know, with this infrastructure package. The, those are the initial indications from the White House. So I just want to note how silly it is that um, 10 years ago, the promise was, or 12 years ago, the promise was 5 million green jobs by the current president, and it, currently, you know, it was by no yeah. means mad. It was a big failure, um, and now he's doubled down to that promise to 10 million green jobs. Well, so, apparently, that was the, comical. the rule of thumb is if you're going to lie, lie big. So, <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. So, by the way, uh, one of the things that's really got me concerned is uh, this uh, filibuster Looks like the Democrats want to jettison the whole notion of the filibuster. Now, I guess it is it uh, is it uh, Joe Biden who's suggesting, well, we should let people get up there and argue as long as they want to. But it's the sixty vote uh, requirement to pass a law in the Senate that's most important. What what's going on now? What are your thoughts? 
Well, I'll say the Senator Mitch McConnell, I believe, had a very effective floor speech. And this was actually the only reporter to cover it um, was Byron York at the Washington Examiner, from what I can tell. But in essence, uh, uh, Biden, or I'm sorry, uh, Senator uh, Minority Leader McConnell used a floor time in the Senate this week to just basically uh, uh, list all the prior examples in which Senator Schumer, Senator Durbin, uh, Senator Whitehouse, Senator Coons, even Vice President Kamala Harris, how they all endorsed the filibuster when they were in the minority, how they all went on the record um, talking about how crucial the filibuster is for um, the, the, the minority party's rights in the Senate and how, how crucial it is for a functioning government within the checks and balances of our American constitutional system. Um, and he contrasted that, Mick McConnell did these past statements, with what these same senators are, are saying now, which mm-hmm. is that the filibuster has always been a tool of racism, um, which really... Uh, calls into question the sincerity of the current Democrat complaints regarding the, the filibuster. So um, I think that, that look, uh, the, I believe that Senate uh, founding fathers, the, the popular metaphor was that it was the saucer that cools the cup, um, the passions of the House of Representatives. The, the Senate is supposed to be a deliberative body, and, and this institution of the filibuster has literally for hundreds of years been a part of, uh, be it named a filibuster or under some other mechanism, but has been a part of our system of government. So yeah. um, I thought uh, I thought McConnell's speech was very effective in pointing out the hypocrisy uh, at, at, at hand with the current Democratic calls to do away with this filibuster. Well, we can only hope so, but if the first rule is to lie, if you can lie, lie big. The second rule will be is if you can't figure out a logical reason to fight something, just yell racism. So. <laughs> Alas, that would appear to be the case here, and I don't level those sorts of charges lightly at all, but yeah. you know, it doesn't really make any sense that they're now talking about it as a relic of Jim Crow and, and how it's all racist when only a couple years ago, they were employing it, and they were uh, uh, signaling its virtues. So yeah. that just doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't. Hey, before I let you go, I just want to get your thoughts. I mean, 25, was it 26? How many days has it been since the president has had a press conference? It seems to me he's avoiding at all costs the notion of getting in front of the press. Any thoughts there? Well, it does seem to be par for the course. I mean, uh, Biden did run a very low-key campaign, putatively from his basement, um, as the criticism went. So this would seem to be part and parcel of his team's strategy to keep him away from scrutiny. Right. Um, and, and then perhaps that's due to a history of gaps, or perhaps that's due to, uh, I have no idea, I mean, the complexity of the current issues at, uh, at, at hand at, say, the border. Um, but for whatever reason, indeed, he's gone a record <laughs> length of time without taking questions from the press. I will note he did uh, do an interview this week um, with George Stephanopoulos, and I'll say this, George Stephanopoulos gave him some hard questions. I mean, that was a much more effective interview huh. um, that made the president thread a, a few very tight needles. How did the president do? I, not terribly well. The whole blaming <laughs> Trump for everything shtick is wearing very thin to me. Um, and I also thought he took a number of contradictory positions, I mean, on a number of issues. 
Um, and I don't think we have the time to discuss them, but no. that, that gets it sort of, I thought, the effect of questioning from George Stephanopoulos, who would get him to say, you know, how do you feel about Putin on the one hand? And he would say, oh, I think he's a killer. And then Stephanopoulos immediately brought up the Saudi prince and the killing of Khashoggi. And it caused some stammering by the president. Yeah, no, no question. William, again, research fellow at the Cato Institute. I genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. William, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on. Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Michael Cannon. He's also with the Cato Institute. He's a uh, director of health studies there. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Luke Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Lyndon and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Golfshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgrowing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000-square-foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. You just heard about the brand-new downtown uh, performing arts center that's being built. I hope you'll take part. Find out more by visiting golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Dave Bigo, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep, Right now we have with us Michael Cannon. He is a uh, director of health studies at the Cato Institute. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Bob. So, Michael, I just got my bill from Medicare, and uh, it was kind of interesting. I had to ask for a bill, but I received 
a note from my back surgery saying that this is what Medicare is going to cover. This is the whole thing. It reminds me of this bundling concept they have. What's going on with Medicare? So, you know, Medicare uh, has a lot of support from seniors because when they need their back surgery or hip surgery, they'll often pay for uh, almost everything. But there are a lot of problems with the Medicare program that probably a lot of your listeners have run into. And this week, the agency that advises Congress on the Medicare program, it's called the Medicare Payment Advisory Commission, mm. they released one of their annual uh, reports about how Medicare is doing. And there's a lot in that report that, uh, that, that Medicare for All supporters don't seem to know about. You know, Medicare for All supporters want to enroll all 330 million Americans in the program. But uh, the Medicare Payment Advisory Commission, or MedPAC as we call it, listed nine challenges that the Medicare program faces. Hmm. And if, if you, you know, if, if I as a libertarian said, we're going we're gonna to propose a new kind of health plan, the private sector is going to provide it, and it's going to do all of the, it's going to face all of these nine challenges. It's going to have all of these nine problems that Medicare, uh, that Medicare has. Medicare for all supporters would say it's junk. Yeah. But, if a, but if the government plan does all of these things, then, well, they want to force everyone into it. Yeah. So can you, can you give us some of the highlights of the things that are concerning the, uh, the board? Sure. Sure. So uh, one of them is, you know, that uh, this is something that you might not notice, uh, but uh, drives up the cost of the Medicare program, is that Medicare pays higher prices for the same service depending on where you provide that service, where you get that service. Huh. So if you get it in a hospital, Medicare will pay more than if you get it in a doctor's office. And what what this is encouraged, as you you would imagine, is it's encouraged hospitals to buy up doctors' practices, and that so that they can get paid these higher prices, even though even though you're getting that service in the doctor's office, you're still getting it in the doctor's office. The site of the service hasn't changed. Uh, uh, the 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 doctor that's providing it to you hasn't changed. It's just that uh, Medicare is paying more for it now because it's payment rules because it's such a dumb purchaser of health care and its payment rules are easy to gain. So, so Michael, Medicare that explains something. overvalues primary care and undervalues specialty care. Yeah, we, MedPAC we, found. We found this. We saw this. Uh, this uh, it, it encourages providers to uh, provide you more and more care regardless of clinical value, and it just pays them, uh, pays for this stuff, yeah. even services that are clinically inappropriate. It results in fragmented care. So it actually discourages your doctors from talking to each other to make sure that they're all on the same page and giving you the best care they can. Wow. Uh, it does not protect you from uh, uh, a lot of out-of-pocket costs. There's no, no out-of-pocket maximum in Medicare, as there is in a lot of private health insurance. And the list goes on. You know, Medicare doesn't even... Doesn't even measure quality in its uh, various uh, programs uh, adequately for either researchers or Medicare enrollees to judge the quality of, say, the Medicare Advantage plan that they're prov providing or the quality of individual providers. So you wanted to just interject, and, uh, uh, and, Michael. And so and the list just goes on. Yeah, and I, these are not 
This is not news to people who study Medicare. It is news to Medicare for all supporters. Yeah, what it does, Lou, it does explain why we saw the spate of uh, 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 doctors' practices being bought up by hospitals just a few years ago. In spades, there were just so many uh, doctors joining hospital, uh, and probably for this very reason. You know, there are a lot of reasons. Uh, what, this is certainly one of them. Another one is that if they consolidate like that, then they can get higher prices, not just out of Medicare, but also out of private insurance companies. Mm. Uh, and so the fact that the government encourages excessive private insurance as well through, through the tax code and through Obamacare, that also creates incentives for consolidation, uh, hospitals buying up doctors' practices, and uh, this results in less competition and higher prices. Unbelievable, Michael. It's just so uh, disappointing. And in fact, and what's happening now, these are all unintended consequences of a program that's supposed to be there to help seniors. And uh, what's happening is that the consequence is an adjustment, an upward spiral of prices. The law of unintended consequences is a cruel mistress. <laughs> yes, it is indeed. So what are, you, what are your recommendations? So to eliminate all of these ridiculous inefficiencies in Medicare, you've got to end government management of, the, of people's health care. You've got to end government price setting. You've got to end government determining what kind of coverage you have, uh, how doctors get paid, and so forth. And to, to do that, uh, there's, you, you don't have to eliminate the Medicare program. You can just take the $800 billion or so that Medicare spends every year. You can take that. You can divide it up among the enrollees and just give it to them as cash like Social Security does. Give sicker and lower-income enrollees bigger Medicare checks so that they can afford the sort of health plan, that same sort of health plan that everyone else can. And, but let them choose then what kind of health plan they purchase, what kind of prices they're... You know, let them be price sensitive yeah. uh, so that we get price competition. Let them choose how the, the health plan is going to pay providers so that it doesn't create the same perverse incentives that Medicare does. And we will get competition on price. We'll get quality competition. And we will get much more affordable and higher quality health care for seniors. And we'll have happier uh, we'll have happier constituents or happier patrons of uh, of health care as well as lower prices. That will drive prices down substantially, in my opinion. Michael, I just genuinely appreciate uh, your commentary here on the show. Again, Michael Cannon, the uh, uh, Director of Health Studies at the Cato Institute. Thank you so much for joining us. Anytime, Bob. Take care. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, Megan Rose. She is the CEO of a terrific organization. It's called Better Together. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006 and I now have full range of motion in both knees and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to visit with Dave Bego. Dave is the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. Right now we have with us Megan Rose. She is the president, the founder, and CEO of Better Together. Megan, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Bob. Always a pleasure. Uh, my pleasure indeed, Megan. Tell us about Better Together. So Better Together is on a mission to keep families together um, in the community. Um, and by doing so, um, just eliminating the need for government. So we have two programs, one mission. Everything is preventative. We have our Better Families, which helps keep kids out of foster care. And then we have our Better Jobs program, which is national, that helps get people back to work and be able to pursue the American dream. Amazing organization. And I must say the results that you have achieved are just uh, mind-boggling, quite frankly, in my opinion. Let's start off without, with uh, keeping kids out of foster care. Tell us about that program. So, Bob, we started that program in 2015 here in Naples, and since then, we've been able to keep over 3,000 kids out of the foster care system, and it's a families helping families model. Um, families that are in the community voluntarily reach out. They might be facing homelessness, a medical emergency, um, or maybe they're trying to leave a deadly relationship. But then we connect them to vetted and background-checked volunteers um, in the community who will care for their children short-term or mentor them towards a better life. And so what's been really exciting is it really works. 98% of the families we work with do not have further intervention with the state. 
it saves the taxpayers a ton of money because for every kid we're keeping on the state, that's $45,000 per child per year. Wow. And what's really exciting, Bob, is now we're growing and expanding our program because of our track record to more cities and locations in the state of Florida. So I am radically trying to reduce the need of foster care in the state of Florida and use that as a model for other states to learn from. It's such a big deal because when kids do get caught up in the foster care, there are good foster care parents. I don't want to dismiss that whole notion, but nevertheless, uh, it's very difficult it's, to get out of the program. And sometimes the needs that uh, families have can be short-term, finding a job, finding a new place to live, whatever it might be, sometimes longer term as well. But it's really interesting to me is that these families are willing to take in a child or two to uh, have them as part of their family, and then as a result afterwards is not only have that relationship with the child, but then with the family to help mentor them as well. Yeah, it's really a beautiful thing, Bob. I mean, my background's in foster care. I used to direct a foster care agency, and foster care is absolutely needed. But government's really good at ripping families apart, but really struggles to put them back together. Our program works because of those relationships that start off as our average day is only 41 days, but those relationships just grow over time. I'm an example. I'm a host mom. I've hosted 18 kids in my home over the past four years, and we still have a relationship with every single mom and dad. And those friendships have just grown over time, and it's been really just a blessing to be able to watch these families grow and then be a friend to them when they need us. 18, 18 different families. Isn't that, it's just amazing to me. And you have your own family as well. Yeah, a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a one-year-old. So we're always bringing home kids. Our house is always full of lots of laughter and lots of lots of little voices, but we wouldn't change it for the world. No, that, we love it. That's fantastic. Now, the other aspect of this is helping people find jobs, find work, meaningful work, and in, in such a unique way. Tell us about it. So Better Jobs was created because we realized 76% of the families that we were working with were in crisis due to economic hardship. So churches, we believe, are the perfect place for job fairs. They have um, relationships in the community, they have volunteers, and we share the same mission. So 98% of churches across the country have a handout ministry, but less than 2% of churches have an employment ministry. And so we're working to flip that list. We want more churches in America to have an employment ministry where people can come as they are and they can be coached, they can be encouraged, and then they can be connected to employers. It really humanizes the whole job-seeking process in a day of age of technology and algorithms where if you don't hit certain boxes, you don't get to meet a hiring manager. And so our job fairs will actually get people hired on the spot. Um, We have hiring managers that will make interviews. I mean, people leave feeling confident that they're going to find a job. And it really works for those that are struggling. Maybe they need a second chance because they're really focused more on where they're going instead of where they've been. And it's just a unique pathway to help people in our community that have been struggling to find work. And it really works. We work with over 500 churches across the country, from San Diego, the Maine, to here in Southwest Florida. And it's incredible to see the church really step up, especially in the aftermath of COVID, where families are really struggling right now. 
-hmm. And we know that we need to help get people back to work as quickly as possible. Otherwise, you're going to have all these other issues that arise, mental health, addiction. I mean, isolation and not working is a killer combination. And our programs really fight back. Yeah. So just to give uh, uh, our listeners the, uh, the whole idea is that uh, if, if, in fact, somebody wants to go out and find a job, they actually get a mentor, somebody who can teach them how to look somebody in the eye, to shake hands, to be uh, have an appropriate interview. So you get that kind of coaching, number one. And number two, that somebody is there to support you through the process. And I would also suggest that employers... Uh, once they have a positive experience, want to come back and continue to do interviews because they can find good people uh, in the process. Yes, our employers love our model. It's not your typical you know, job fair in a hotel. Um, because of all the pieces you just mentioned, the mentorship, the coaching, the support, um, I just think of Jesse. He was rejected um, 152 times. Mm. He came to our job fair. He was about to lose hope. He's given up. He started to believe that he didn't have potential, and our volunteers reminded him that he had God-given potential. He had something very valuable that he could offer an employer. His coach introduced him to an employer who ended up hiring him on the spot. And, I mean, the smile on his face when he was leaving, I mean, he was so excited. And that's what this is all about. I mean, this is about loving people encouraging them, mentoring them, and then connecting them to a job that can literally change their life. So this is uh, such an important message. And uh, for those, uh, I'm sure we have listeners right now who say, hey, I'd like to be a part of that. Maybe I could be a coach or maybe I could help in a foster in a, in a situation with a family. Uh, how do we go about doing that? So I'd encourage people to go to our website, www.bettertogetherus.org. But we are always looking for volunteers. We are volunteer-driven, professionally supported, and 100% privately funded. So we would encourage you to get involved. You can mentor. You can job coach. Um, it can be done virtually or in person. There's so many different ways to get involved, and we would love to have you be a part of our story. Absolutely. And of course, all this is funded privately. So uh, uh, if you don't have the time to do the things we talked about, a contribution would be greatly appreciated. And again, the website? www.bettertogetherus.org. Bettertogetherus.org. Megan, you just done, and of course, the organization has been around, right, seven years? Um, five years. This is actually our birthday this year. Wow. Unbelievable. Can you believe, these are just unbelievable results. Congratulations to you, Megan, and to your staff. And thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thank you so much, Bob. This is a great time. Thank you for having me. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Dave Bigo, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network.
The dining scene in Naples is among the nation's finest. Get a first-hand experience with Naples Culinary Walks. Join a guided food walk with a terrific guide in a small group through elegant Naples neighborhoods known for destination restaurants. In three hours, you'll stop for small plates on your chosen tour. Dining walk choices include morning, afternoon, and evening offerings on 5th Avenue South, downtown 3rd Street, Waterside, Galleria Shops at Vanderbilt, and more. Prices begin at only $46 a person, depending on the tour you select. To find out more and to make a reservation, visit NaplesCulinaryWalks.com. That's NaplesCulinaryWalks.com for a great value and a terrific dining experience. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work, and now a new uh, voter integrity program. You can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. We have with us Dave Beagle, as I mentioned before the break. He's the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. It's the story of uh, the travails of dealing with dirty tricks from union bosses over the course of two and a half years. Whoops, I think I just lost my guest, Dave Bigo. Well, that's the wrong... So uh, hopefully uh, Dave will call back. But in any event, uh, the story is about uh, dealing with uh, the travails of dirty tricks with union bosses. Uh, He prevailed over two and a half years, but you cannot believe the dirty tricks that went on. In fact, uh, you can get a a copy of the book, thedevilatourdoorstep.com. Thedevilatourdoorstep.com is the name of the book. The, uh, and the website. So uh, you can also get a copy of the book at a, at a nice discount on my website as well. A great read, and I encourage you to read it. I hope Dave will call back. Uh, I won't have a chance to call him back. Now, I confess that when I first heard about the employee diversity training sessions at Coca Cola, I was uh, about workers trying to be less white. I thought this was probably some sort of a spoof, like from Babylon B or something, but it's not. The company's online employee training video really does include tips on how to be less white. For example, uh, how to be less arrogant, less certain of yourself, less defensive, less ignorant, and more humble. I'm not kidding. They, they really do have a program on how to be less white. Now, the baseball and apple pie iconic American company is facing an online backlash from conservatives, as you can imagine. That, according to News, Newsweek, for its foray in reverse 
racism. Candace Owens is a prominent black conservative commentator, and she noted, imagine the brouhaha if a company advised its employees to try to be less black. Can you imagine? Coke has issued a mamby-pamby explanation that the presentation is part of a learning plan to help build an inclusive workplace. Our wish list is that corporate America would simply instruct its workers to judge people based on the content of their character, not on the color of their skin, as the great Martin Luther King uh, pointed out to us. Uh, you know, I, had, I, I serve on a board, and uh, one of the complaints from uh, one of the uh, members of the boards was that, hey, uh, we're too white. We need to have more diversity. And, uh, you know, I'm all for that. But you know what? We're, we need to be also, we have to make sure that we have the be very best possible people for in the workplace. If we want to have more diversity, well, let's go out and find somebody, but make sure that we're not lowering the standards of the organization just because we want to have somebody to fill a position because they're black. I take a look and see what's going on in universities right now, and it's really sad to see really top universities now lowering their standards. And I'm not suggesting they're not very bright black people. I'm not suggesting that at all. What I am suggesting is that the consequence of... Uh, trying to do this is, uh, in fact, changing how we look at, our, uh, at ourselves. And the very first virtue for anybody looking for a job is having the credentials to do the job well. And uh, to me, to change those credentials, to change those thoughts, that should be the number one criteria. I think maybe there should be some sort of a, a uh, uh, people should interview behind a curtain so that you know, where you are not aware of their color or other virtues, other physical virtues. Their physical virtues have nothing to do. They could be in a wheelchair. It has nothing to do with the quality of the work that they might be able to do on the job. That should be number one. I read in the, in the Naples Daily News, they're uh, bragging about the, the uh, diversity uh, that they have on their staff. And I take a look at the newspaper itself, and it's so mediocre. To me, they fo uh, focus too much on uh, diversity and not enough on the quality of what they're, what they're doing. Uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin said on Thursday that he and U.S. President Joe Biden should hold a live online talk in coming days about Biden after Biden said that he thought that the Russian leader was a killer and a diplomatic tie sank to a new post-Cold War low. Putin, speaking on television, cited a Russian children's playground chant in scathing response to Biden's accusation with a comment that he, he who said it did it. <laughs> Not kidding, he really said that. In an ABC News interview broadcast on Wednesday, the prompted uh, Russia to recall its um, uh, Washington ambassador for consultations, Biden said, I do, and was, when asked if he believed Putin was a killer, Biden was quick to extend a nuclear arms pact with Russia after he took office, but his administration has said it will take a tougher line with Moscow than Washington did during Trump's term in office, so he called him a killer. <laughs> <laughs> Washington, uh, and engage only when there's a tangible benefit for the United States. Putin said he had la last spoken to Biden by phone at the U.S. president's request and that he now proposed they have another conversation on Friday or Monday to be held on a video link and broadcast live. I want to offer President Biden that we continue our discussion, but the, the condition is that we do it live online and without any delays, he said, 
When asked if in, in a television interview about Biden's comments, the two leaders last spoke by telephone on January 26th after Biden took office. So the White House spokesman, Jerry, uh, Jen Psaki, I call her Jen Psaki because it's spelled P-S-A-K-I. I think she pronounces it Jen Psaki, irrespective. On Thursday, she said Biden had no regrets about calling Putin a killer and swatted away a question about Putin's request for an immediate call in public. In public. I would say the president already had a conversation with President Putin, even as there are more world leaders that have not engaged with, she said. The president will, of course, be in Georgia tomorrow and quite busy. <laughs> Putin said he was ready to discuss Russia's relations with the United States and other issues such as regional conflicts tomorrow or, say, Monday, adding that he would be having a weekend break in a remote part of Russia. In his comments, Biden also described Putin as a having no soul and said he would pay a price for alleged Russian meddling in the November 2020 U.S. presidential election, something the Kremlin denies. Putin is also accused of poisoning political foes. Russia is preparing to be hit by a new round of U.S. sanctions in the coming days over the U.S. allegations of election interference and hacking. U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken said on Thursday that Washington was tracking efforts to complete Russia's Nord Stream 2 natural gas pipeline and evaluating information on ent uh, entities that appear to be involved. In a highly unusual move following Biden's interview, Moscow recalled its ambassador to the United States uh, for consultations. Suggesting Biden was hypocritical in his remarks, Putin said that every state has to be content with bloody events and added Biden was accusing the Russian leader of something he was guilty of himself. I remember in my childhood when we argued in the courtyard with each other when we used to say, he who said it did it. And that's not a coincidence, not just a child's uh, saying or joke. The psychological meaning here is very deep, he said. So uh, I think what uh, Putin's looking for is a fist fight or something, maybe arm wrestling match or a debate, as he says. He wants an online debate. I don't think, uh, basically, that uh, uh, Biden is up to the uh, debate, but we'll see. I mean, I think it's an interesting idea from, <laughs> from Putin to recommend that they have an online uh, debate. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we've got great guests uh, lined up for Monday. Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com, will be joining us. Larry Reed will be joining us. I also have another guest lined up, and I've forgotten who it is, and I didn't write it down. Perhaps my wife, Linda, will be joining us as well. Uh, I always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. I also put out a newsletter after each show. You can, again, send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day and weekend on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. <laughs>